In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I find that the crisp days of fall bring to mind one seemingly universal event. And no, I'm not referring to Halloween or to Thanksgiving. I'm thinking of homecoming. You know, when we visit our alma maters in order to relive the past. I remember one particular homecoming weekend when I was still a student at Wheaton College. And while I was at Wheaton, we underwent a major change in our sense of identity as a school. For my first three years, our sports mascot had been the Crusaders. In theory, we could say that our name referred to the evangelistic crusades uh, that were carried out by famous alumnus Billy Graham. But to be honest, we were crusaders long before the first Billy Graham crusade in 1947, and the picture of a knight on horseback always accompanied our name, which meant that we as crusaders were alluding back to the infamous crusades of the Middle Ages when the nations of Europe tried to reclaim the Holy Land through battle. The church at the time had endorsed those wars, but many horrible atrocities were committed in the name of Christ during them. So, in order to distance itself from these images of violence, the administration at my college decided to change our mascot. It was good PR. For months, they took suggestions from students, faculty, and alumni. Finally, in the fall of my senior year, they unveiled our new mascot. Instead of being the Crusaders, we were now the Wheaton Thunder. (laughs) That's right, Thunder. That year on homecoming weekend, I found myself walking behind what was obviously an alumni couple as they walked across campus to go to the football stadium. And um, I heard them as they walked. I could overhear little bits of their conversation, and they'd pass by, you know, a beloved part of the campus that had changed, and I could hear them lamenting the change as they noticed it. And then, of course, the inevitable topic of the new mascot came up. The husband grumbled about the trade of thunder for the Crusaders. Thunder was vague. It was not even really biblical, was it? No one liked it. How are they possibly going to show thunder? All of these things. And finally, he blurted out, In my day, we wouldn't have cared what people outside thought of us. In my day. In my day, indeed. How many times might we have said that very phrase, In my day. Because it's true that hindsight is twenty-twenty. The perfect past that we recall with rosy nostalgia, probably didn't exist at all. The late comedian George Carlin said that inside every cynical person is a disappointed idealist. That disgruntled Wheaton alumnus was no mere cynic. He was a disappointed idealist. Nothing could ever measure up to those idealized years when he was a young college student. Truly, we find misplaced idealism, not just in those who remember the the past with undue fondness and that uh, 2020 vision, but there are also those who look to the future wearing rose-colored glasses. 
what college graduate with a degree in one hand and a job in the other has not ventured out into the world with a fresh hope based, of course, upon their own abilities, their natural abilities. They see a new pristine world ahead of them, and they know that their luck will be better than others who've gone before. Well, the bare truth is that both kinds of misguided idealism result only in disappointment and pessimism because the basis for the idealism is wrongly placed. Corporately and as individuals, our past is flawed and our future, in this life at least, will not be perfect. In our first lesson for today, we hear the prophet Haggai speaking to the people of Israel as they wallowed in their misplaced idealism. They returned to Jerusalem with the express purpose of rebuilding the temple, which had been destroyed long ago. And their enthusiasm had begun to flag. And so in the midst of the ruins and rubble, the oldest generation of these Hebrews couldn't help but remember the beauty and the material wealth of a former temple that had been built by Solomon over 400 years ago. They remembered the good things of the past, and they idealized them. Their misplaced idealism caused them to become discouraged and pessimistic. They couldn't go forward. Like the Wheaton College alumnus, they probably said, in my day. It is from this context that Haggai preaches to them. He tells them two things, to take courage and to fear not. And he gives them two reasons why they should take courage and fear not. First, God is with them. The the Holy Spirit remains with them. And the steadfast love that God committed to them at Mount Sinai so long ago remains with them despite their disobedience and even their idolatry. So first, God is with them. And second, God is for them. God will act on their behalf to protect them and restore to everything, to them everything that they had lost when they disobeyed. He promises to intervene when he says, once again, I will shake the heavens and the earth. And God promises, in addition, that he will give them prosperity or peace, that deep and abiding sense of God's favor, despite our sins and failures. God fulfilled all these promises to the Jewish people in many small ways, but of course in one great big way, in sending a Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so for us, as for them, God is both with us and for us in Jesus Christ. Jesus is Emmanuel, and upon his birth, God himself, the creator of the universe, was born as a baby in Bethlehem. Jesus has experienced the trials and temptations that are part and parcel of what it means to be a human being in a fallen world. Jesus knows what we go through. In Jesus, God is with us. And through Jesus, God is for us. Our just fate became that of Jesus. Because God loves us just that much. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, God has intervened once and for all on our behalf. He has shaken the heavens and the earth in order to forgive us 
and in order to fling wide the gates of heaven. Our fate is tied up with that of Jesus. His was the pain and ours is the glory, which means that the timelines of our lives are tied up with the timeline of salvation history. Your past, present, and future belong to Jesus Christ. And my past, present, and future belongs to Jesus Christ. And corporately, our past, present, and future belong to Jesus Christ. Through faith in him, our destiny is his destiny. And we must remember this as we walk through this new transition in our leadership. Our past is redeemed. And the many good things that we have already experienced are simply good gifts from God. Not idealized, nor idolized. Not to be remade or relived. We love you, Dean Limehouse. And we'll try not to idealize you. Or not too much, at least. I think we still will, won't we? But so too, just as our past is bright, so too our future in Christ is bright. And this brightness is guaranteed, not based on anything natural about us or about our very talented new leader. Our future involves resurrection from the dead and the restoration of all things when Jesus returns to claim his own. Our future is bright because it's grounded on what God has done for us. And so we can say that those words that were spoken by Haggai so long ago are words for us also as we celebrate the past and look to the future. Take courage. Fear not. God is with us. And through Jesus Christ... God is for us. And for that, we can say, thanks be to God.